Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Well, hello there, friends. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here. Today is episode 141, and we'll be talking about some worries that you guys might be having about clinical and hopefully setting those aside. Before we do that, let's take a quick minute to give some love to my listeners. And for our listener shout out this week. This one goes to Nurse Valor, who left this review on Apple Podcasts. 100% the best nursing podcast I've found. I recently graduated nursing school in August of 2020, but had to take some time before taking the NCLEX due to a recent diagnosis of a chronic illness. I've stayed on top of studying my notes and doing practice, but I felt like I lost a lot of my critical thinking skills. Listening to this podcast brought that thinking like a nurse component right back because she breaks down various aspects of nursing care in a way that is so simple to follow. And that shows you how to make those critical connections when considering care. Also provides so much great info that is actually pertinent to what we need to know. Thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy NCLEX study schedule to leave that lovely review. I am thrilled that it's helping you study and prepare. And by now, you've probably taken your exam or are close to it. I'd love for you to send an email to hello at straightanursingstudent.com to let me know how you did. I'm so excited you'll be joining me in this amazing profession. So I know right now a lot of you may not be going to clinical or your clinical experiences could be limited. So if that's the case, come back and listen to this when you are back into your clinical rotations. But for those of you that are going to clinical, I'm sure you have some apprehension, maybe a little anxiety, and maybe you're worrying about a few things. So let's talk about some of those. Hopefully we'll set some of your worries and your fears and your anxiety behind so that you can approach clinical with anticipation, excitement, and joy for all the learning opportunities heading your way. So one of the first things that I hear students say they're so worried about with clinicals is what happens kind of before that clinical day, and that is the care plans. So with that, I would say I feel like care plans are getting 
better, though I did hear about a student who had to do a care plan that I swear was something like 20 or 30 pages long. It was absolutely ridiculous. But in some cases, you know, they can be extremely overwhelming and they can be difficult for students to wrap their brain around because essentially a care plan wants you to think like a nurse when in the very beginning you have kind of not a lot of Uh, context for how to do that, not any clinical experience, no clinical judgment under your belt. And it can feel a lot like you're just guessing or um, putting in things that are from the book, but are they really applicable? So it's kind of like you're kind of blindly going down this path. So let's talk about what a care plan is really quickly. A care plan is is a document that most schools will have you write prior to going to your clinical rotation. Sometimes they don't, especially, you know, with COVID right now, they might be limiting your access to the hospital and having you instead write your care plan kind of after the fact. So you go to the hospital for clinical, you participate in patient care, and then you come back and write a care plan based off the patients that you took care of. It can go either way. So basically, though, what a care plan does is it takes you through the process of essentially learning about a patient's diagnosis, their contributing comorbidities, the meds that they're taking, their goals, their treatments, your assessments, your nursing interventions, all of those things. So how you do the care plan, what format it is in will vary based on your clinical instructor, your school, and how they want things done. But the basic idea is essentially the same. So If you are gathering information for a care plan, there's some key things from the patient's chart that will help you very much. So when I was first doing care plans and had to go look through the chart, it felt like I was on this impossible quest for the gold um, because I wasn't really sure what information I was looking for or what information was pertinent. And I wasted a ton of time. So essentially, if you guys can go and look at the H&P, the history and physical, that's going to give you a fair amount of information about your patient right off the bat. You obviously want to know the patient's diagnosis and any secondary diagnoses or contributing health problems that they may have. Now, you don't have to go down the rabbit hole of every, you know, everything that's ever been wrong with your patient, but if it's contributing to this hospitalization or will impact their care in some way, then you definitely want to jot it down. You want to make a quick note of their hospital course. So, you know, did they come from the ED, go to the ICU, now come to the floor, or did they come in, have surgery, uh, go to the floor, have a complication, go to the ICU, come back to the floor, like get a basic idea of what their hospital course was like. You want to know their current medications, their current labs, and kind of the trend for their labs in the last few days. You know, we never look at lab results in ICU. We want to look at the trend of that lab result, any diagnostic tests that they've had and those results, and of course, their current orders from the physician. So using that basic core information, you can then go back and write up your care plan in whatever format your instructor requires. So the components of a care plan, you know, in general might be the diagnosis and the history of that patient's particular illness or uh, condition, 
their medications and why they are taking them. Okay, it's not just listing the medications. You have to know why they're taking them, what its indicated use is for. And your instructors will have very specific information about the medications. You may hear students say um, their med cards or their drug cards. A lot of times you have to write up a whole thing about each and every medication that your patient is taking. But think about this as great study for those pharmacology exams, you guys. If you can look at care plans as uh, bonus studying for your med surge and your pharmacology exams, you you tend to stop thinking of it as a huge uh, waste of time. I'm never saying care plans are a waste of time, but when you spend five, six hours on one, you might be thinking, holy cow, I needed to study for my exam. You are studying for your exam because you're doing your care plans. The nursing diagnoses that pertain to your patient, and if you're Having trouble with nursing diagnoses or you're afraid that you might, they are a thing that students have trouble with. It's um, one of the things I talk about in my boot camp, my Crucial Concepts boot camp. We go over that. We go over how to write them, how to decipher them, all of that, as we do with the whole care plan process as well. So I do have some information on nursing diagnoses that I can link to in the show notes. You want to be able to list some interventions for every nursing diagnosis that you ascribe to this patient and know why they are needed and what the goals are for each intervention. So I'm not just going to say that the patient is going to increase his mobility, I'm going to say that we are going to ambulate 30 feet down the hallway twice a shift, and that would be the goal. So you have um, goals with every intervention. So again, if you've been worried about care plans or dreading care plans, my advice, keep them as simple as possible, okay? And look at them as an extra way to study and prepare for your exams. It's also just, you know, you go to lecture, you hear about a disease condition, you kind of watch it come to life with all the nursing interventions and the orders that the patient has when you put it down into a care plan. Some professors will use concept maps, which are a great tool as well, and that really helps you connect the dots and develop your clinical judgment, your critical thinking, and seeing how everything all hangs together. So if you can look at care planning as another way to study that really brings things to life, I think you'll enjoy them a lot more. Another thing that students often express some trepidation about as it comes to clinicals is going there and feeling like they don't know what they're doing or like they stick out like a sore thumb. And I totally get it. I felt the exact same way, you guys, especially first semester. And if you've never stepped foot in a patient's room before or even ever been a patient, it can be really intimidating to be in that environment. So a few things that you can do to make this less of a worry are think about the things that you can do. Your school is not sending you into clinical without some basic skills. So if nothing else, you can help with taking patients' 
vital signs. Okay, you can help with ADLs, the activities of daily living. You probably learned how to do a lot, if not all of those in the first, you know, weeks or two of nursing school. So introduce yourself to the techs or the CNAs, PCTs, whatever they're called on your unit, if they have them. If not, then let the nurses know that you would learn to learn how to do ADLs by helping them, by uh, being their second set of hands. These uh, techs, CNAs are masters at doing ADLs. I learn a new trick, a new technique, a way to do it faster, better, every single time I work with one of the techs. So you will learn a ton from these experts and maybe even gain a new friend in the process. And then, you know, a few weeks from now when you're assuming more care and you need a hand, guess who's going to be willing to come help you? Yes, that tech or that CNA that you worked with so much in those early weeks. You could also, again, do the vital signs on patients. And if that's all you know how to do, then do vital signs on as many patients as you can. You will learn all kinds of differences in different people, right? You'll learn that... Um, some people will, you know, if they aren't registering a temperature when you take their temperature to ask, did you just drink some cold water? Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, then you know that maybe take their temperature last instead of wasting a bunch of time trying to get the temperature to read um, different blood pressure cuff sizes for different sized arms, all those kinds of things, counting respirations without the patient knowing you're counting their respirations, because if they know you're counting, they're going to breathe differently. All of these things, assessing radial pulses there, you know, in some patients, they're strong and bounding and other patients, they're very soft and harder to feel. So as you do more vital signs, you're going to get really good at doing them. So if that's all you know how to do, do vital signs on absolutely everybody on the unit. You could also just simply take some time to explore around and get to know where things are. So when someone asks you for an item or you need something, you can go to the supply room and actually get it. There's nothing worse than the nurse asking you for something. Oh, can you go get me the whatever? And you're like, sure, because you're so happy to be doing something of use, right? And be helpful. And you go to the supply room and heads up, you guys, every package in the supply room is white. Okay. So it's really hard to find what you're looking for. It's just a sea of white packages and white boxes with a little bit of writing on them. And it's just, it's hard to find things. So I would say spend a little time in the supply room, getting to know where some basic things are. You can also do things like um, eyes and O's on patients, bring them, um, you know, refill their water pitchers, bring them snacks if they're allowed to have snacks from the nourishment room. If you're uh, trained and can feed the patients, feed the patients. Feeding patients who require assistance is a really uh, time intensive activity. The nurses and techs will be so happy to get another set of hands in that process. But again, make sure that you're allowed to do that if the patient has a dysphagia you may need additional training. So just make sure you're not stepping over the line with that. You can take blood sugars, 
hopefully once you're checked off and trained on that. You can help patients up to the bathroom. You can empty urinals. You can tidy up the rooms. If someone's doing a dressing change, you can hold a limb. Like there's a lot of things that you can do even from the very beginning. And as you gain more skills in your skills lab, you'll be able to take on more tasks. So over time, you'll stop feeling so much like you don't know what to do or you don't know what you're doing because you're going to be learning vast amounts of new material every single week. And then I really want you to take advantage of the opportunity to observe and learn while you're in your clinicals. If you hear that there's a procedure being done, get some permission to observe. Um, A lot of times, you know, in the ICU setting, which you wouldn't be in in first semester, but let's say you're going into your critical care rotation and you're really nervous about it. If you hear that they're doing a bronchoscopy down the hall, go see if you can watch. I mean, that's a great way to learn about what to expect and what, you know, happens in a, in a procedure like a bronchoscopy. If a patient is having trouble, having any kind of distress, find um, a out-of-the-way place maybe to observe and watch what the nurses do to intervene to help this patient. And then later on, if the nurse has time and can talk you through their clinical reasoning, you will learn a hundred times more from that one situation than you will if you were to read about it or hear about it in lecture. So that is just one of the best advices I have for clinical. If you can get with someone who will tell you their clinical decision-making process, I saw this and then I did this and I watched for this and I expected this, then you kind of can start learning how to do that on your own. And that is huge, you guys. So I remember one day in the emergency room, I was a second semester student. I think we spent one day in the ER. It was fabulous. Um, And this very sick patient came through the door. This was a very high acuity, a level one, you know, uh, level one trauma center emergency room. Very busy hospital, lots of action. Very sick patient came through the door and everyone sprang into action. Each person just took on a task. They didn't have to talk to each other about what to do. They didn't have to um, ask, what do I need? What do you need? Um, nobody told anybody else what to do. They just knew what to do. And so later when things calmed down, I asked one of the fourth semester students that was there doing his precepting hours, how on earth did everybody know what to do in that situation? And he said, you basically get to a point where you know what needs to be done. You take a look. If that thing hasn't been done yet, you do it. So um, I found that to be just so inspiring and so interesting. And then later as a nurse in a critical setting, I, of course, saw this in action a million times. We'd have a patient come in or a patient deteriorate. Uh, Reinforcements would arrive and everybody would just know what to do. Occasionally, as the primary nurse, you would delegate things if other people weren't, you know, entirely aware of the situation. But for the most part, something goes down, people know what to do, they jump on their tasks, and it's amazing to watch. So if you can observe something like that and get time after the fact to discuss it with your preceptor, you can learn so, so much from um, what happened from a clinical standpoint to also just how teamwork happens in the uh, in the clinical setting. It's absolutely fantastic. 
Another thing that students worry about, and rightly so, even though I think it's so unfortunate, is having to work with nurses who don't like students. So I don't understand this one at all because you guys are the future of our profession. We need you. We want you. But then why are the nurses sometimes so rude to the students? I don't get it at all. They can be rude. They could be, you know, uh, unwelcoming or even just downright mean. So, you know, we were all students once. And anyone that exhibits this attitude to a student, here's what I have to say about this, you guys. They are not your role model. They are not your mentor, okay? Sometimes there are jerks out there. That's about them. It has nothing to do with you, okay? So don't let it ruin your day if somebody is clearly mean or rude or even dismissive of students. Um, Just go on with your day, go on with something positive and focus on your learning environment. But let's say you're assigned to work with a nurse who's clearly less than thrilled that you are there. Um, So in that case, you know, whatever you can do unsupervised that you're checked off on and approved to do unsupervised, you can do those things, right? If you do need to do something that requires supervision, like say you're inserting a Foley catheter for the first time or something like that, grab your clinical instructor, let them know, hey, you know, Patricia over there has declined to do this task with me. I would love to take the opportunity to do it. Will you come and um, supervise? Most likely, if they have time, they're going to jump on that because they want you to get those skills under your belt. Show that you are helpful. You know, be the change you want to see in the world, as I always say. Even if, you know, even if it's just doing the patient's ADLs, doing their blood sugars, doing their vital signs, be as helpful as you can. Be as positive an impact on that environment that you can be. When you do take your vitals from your patient, when you do get your blood sugars and whatnot, make sure that you are sharing that assessment information with the nurse. Even if they are a jerk, they still need to know that information. With any luck, they'll see that you are a valuable resource. You are an asset to the unit and try to be more inclusive. But some people are just miserable and nothing is going to change that. And again, I just want you to know it's not you. You are not a failure. You are not a bother. You are not unwanted. It's all about them. Okay. So that's what I have to say about working with um, nurses who don't welcome students. And in this day and age with COVID, you might also be really worried about that. So You know, a lot of hospitals have special COVID units. Maybe they're sending students there. Probably not, mainly for the factor that they don't want to utilize PPE unnecessarily because, you know, when the student goes in, normally, you know, you're an extra person. So that's an extra gown. That's an extra mask. That's an extra whatever. But um, if you are working with COVID patients or in a COVID environment and you're worried about it, I want you to take your time. Okay. When breaches of PPE happen, they tend to happen when we rush. So take your time. Even if the patient is in the room yelling that they need their jello right now, or they're going to internally combust, 
take your time. Put your PP on in the way that you were trained and you should get adequate training on, you know, how to put everything on. And then do what you need to do in the room. I would say cluster your interventions as much as you can so that you're, you know, reducing your ins and outs and you'll learn really good time management by doing that. And then when you exit the room that you're doffing your PPE in the correct order and just take your time, you guys, slow down. There's no emergencies in situations like this when you're dealing with a highly communicable disease, okay? Your priority is your protection because you can't help the patient unless you're protected. So take your time, okay? If your hospital is not supplying adequate PPE, like let's say, for instance, they're not supplying goggles, then you need to speak up. I would let your clinical instructor know. If for any reason there's anything that's not being provided, okay? So as far as COVID goes, I think a lot of schools are probably avoiding having their patients go into those rooms. Um, But that doesn't mean not, you know, that doesn't mean every patient in the hospital has been screened. I don't know that hospitals are necessarily doing that. So I would just, you know, be be mindful of every interaction. You know, you've got your mask on, even though it's just a surgical mask. Do that frequent hand hygiene. Stop touching your face. Try to wear goggles at work if you can just the whole time. That's safest. And then when you get home, you know, close everything immediately in the wash. You immediately go in the shower before you touch anybody or anything. And hopefully that will help protect you. So I know it is worrisome. You may be worried about COVID because you feel like you're not getting the clinical experiences that you were hoping for. Your clinical hours may have been cut or maybe you're not having clinical at all. So if that is the case, if your clinical hours have been cut, it's just so, so important that you get as much learning. You squeeze as much learning out of every clinical day as you possibly can. And I've got a podcast episode on clinical debriefing, and I will share that in the notes so that you guys can access that. And what that is, is just a way to debrief after clinical that will like 10 times your clinical learning. So I'll add that to the show notes for those of you who are really worried about that. And you can even use a clinical debrief form after simulation. So if a lot of your clinicals are being replaced by simulation and you're worried that you're not learning, I would invite you to add that element to your simulation experiences as well. Okay, so let's move on to the next item that you might be worried about with your nursing school clinicals. Sometimes students worry that they're going to flounder and be on their own and that their clinical cohort may not be the most helpful. This has happened. There have been, you know, occasionally you'll be in a cohort with students who are just out for themselves and possibly not helping, or that might be your perception of it. So you may feel like you are like in a sink or swim kind of situation. So typically your clinical rotations, you will at least be with another student, most likely on the same unit, maybe two or three other students. 
I was lucky. I always had a pal with me on um, all of my clinical rotations that I could count on to come help me out if I was in a jam. Like one time I was taking care of this patient who had multiple, multiple wounds all over her body. And we needed to, you know, the nurse and I were talking about the need to document all of her wounds. So wounds in the hospital have to be measured, they have to be photographed, then they have to be, you know, dressed according to whatever type of dressing they need. And this lady had I don't even know how many. There were at least 10. And it was a huge project. And I was getting close to the end of my clinical day. Thank the Lord, my two clinical pals that were on the same unit as me were available. They came over. One of them measured. One of them took pictures while I did the um, dressings. And so that task that would have probably taken me about two hours to do on my own, we were able to do in about 30 minutes because we worked together as a team. So if you're on a unit and you've got some clinical pals or you're worried that they're not going to help you out, Maybe what you can do instead is think about why they haven't been able to help you out. Are they drowning as well? So what I recommend for this is if you're worried about being in clinical and drowning out there and getting uh, in the weeds, as we call it, reach out to your clinical pals. Even if they haven't been super helpful, there's probably a reason for that. And it's probably because they are feeling overwhelmed as well. We don't tend to talk about with each other when we're not doing well. We tend to only want to talk about the highlights, right? We need to start reaching out to each other when we need help. So go to that person and say, hey, it seems like you're really busy. Is there something I can do to help you? I guarantee you, if they say yes, and you go and you do that, you know, uh, clean up a patient, change a bed, get a patient to the bathroom, do a bunch of dressing changes, whatever it is. And then if you turn around and say, could you help me with this? I really need to get this guy up to the commode. They're most likely going to be able to say yes at that point and help you. And what you learn from this is that you're never on your own. Nursing is a team sport. So if you're worried about going to clinical, having maybe clinical, um, you know, your clinical cohort that may or may not be able to help you, worried about being left on your own, worried about drowning in the weeds by yourself, I guarantee you, if you approach your clinical rotations with that level of teamwork, and if you instigate that attitude, others will follow suit. You will develop a culture of teamwork in your cohort and help one another. And that will carry over into your nursing career. It really is a team sport. Every single time I'm at work and someone asks me for help, I say yes. Yes, I will help you. Even if I'm super, I mean, if I'm crazy busy and the patient is, you know, critical and I really can't step away, I will say, I can't step away right now, but I can help you in a moment. But most of the time, if, you know, there's any way possible that I can go help them, I help them. Because guess what? When I need a hand, they come and they give me a hand. And that's just how it works. That's how the job works. And that's how units retain cohesiveness and really good morale. Now, there are units out there where it really is kind of every man for himself. And those units typically have high burnout, um, poor, um, you know, morale, and they don't thrive. So units where the nurses help each other, where there's teamwork is the name of the game. That's the kind of unit you want to be on. And that's the type of nurse you want to start being right away. 
Okay, and then the last thing that I'm going to talk to you guys about is post-conference because for some students, this is really stressful. Um, Not everyone loves it. I loved it. I thought it was really fun, but it can be really stressful for students. So post-conference is a conference that happens after your clinical shift. Um, If you're not having clinicals, this would be something after simulation, like your debriefing. And before you go home or maybe after you go home, you guys might meet up on Zoom and do a post-conference you're going to be sitting around in a room or on a Zoom with your cohort and your clinical instructor diving into the details of your patients. And it can feel a little bit like sitting on the hot seat, but it's a fantastic way to learn, to debrief, to process your clinical reasoning, and even your emotions if you've had an especially emotionally trying day. What I want you to do if you're dreading or worrying about going to post-conference and feeling um, like you're under scrutiny, under a magnifying glass, put that aside. I want you to think more about it as another way to study. Just like your care plans were another way to study, so is post-conference. It is so, so valuable. It's a great time to get to get uh, clarification from your clinical instructor about concepts that you might have trouble with, um, using your actual patient scenarios as examples. It just solidifies learning so much more when it's an actual real patient, something you saw in front of your own eyes. So anytime you can learn a topic Um, From seeing it with your own eyes and then talking about it with your clinical instructor afterwards, you know, getting those different angles, getting those different modalities, you will solidify and strengthen your knowledge base so, so much. So post-conference essentially is kind of like having a small group study session with your clinical instructor as your dedicated tutor. And to me, that's a a fantastic way to spend an hour after clinical. So if you've been nervous about it, feel like you're going to get grilled, they're not trying to come at you. They're just trying to help you develop your critical thinking and your clinical judgment. So I hope that you can look forward to it as a fabulous learning opportunity that it is. So that wraps us up for today. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, just hit that subscribe button and you will automatically get next week's episode in your podcast player. And next week we'll be talking about electroconvulsive therapy. And in the meantime, if you miss me, come on over to Instagram and follow me there, Straight A Nurse. I would absolutely love to see you there. So I will see you back here next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.